Let's pray. Father God, I am so very grateful that when you look at our lives, you don't look at the outside, but you look at the heart. And Father, oftentimes when we examine our own lives, we see very little potential that can be used for you. But Lord, what you desire of us more than anything else in this world is not our ability, but our availability to be used by you. Father, as your people, I pray that we would always make ourselves available to be used by you in whatever way you desire to use us. Father, as we open your word now, we ask that you would just bless the reading of it, the teaching and the preaching of it, Lord, to your honor and to your glory, that you would hide me behind your cross. People would not hear what I have to say, but Lord, that they would hear clearly from you. And when they leave here today, they will be able to say, I have surely been in the presence of the one true living God. Father, you tell us in your word, if Jesus Christ be lifted up, you will draw people unto him. That is the desire of my heart this morning. Use your vessel, fill me, Lord, empower me for the purpose of preaching and teaching your word to your honor and to your glory. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you are a child this morning that is going to Treehouse, you are welcome to go at this time. I see the ladies in the back are waiting for you, so if you are a child that would like to go, if your child is a visiting child, we would encourage you, one of the parents, to go with those children so that we can ensure the safety of that child when you come back to pick them up. We always want to do that. And the way that we do that is by knowing who you are, and we can take the child and relate the child to the parent when the parent returns. But it is very good to see you in the house of the Lord this morning. I hope that Brother Jim's song spoke to your heart today. That's the second time I've had the opportunity to hear that song, and what a powerful message there is in that song. I'm reminded of that story of Samuel the prophet when he goes by word of the Lord to the house of Jesse to choose the next king under the leadership and the guidance of God. If you remember when he comes, he looks at the first man, the first son, and he says, surely this is the one. And God says, he is not the one that I have chosen. And he goes through all of the other sons and every time God says, I have not chosen him. Samuel looks at Jesse and says to Jesse, Jesse, do you have any other children, any more sons? I have the youngest one. He's out in the field tending to the sheep. Go and call him. And when he comes, God says to Samuel, anoint him as the next king of Israel. His name was David. God had searched throughout the nation of Israel, and he had found a man after his own heart, and he chose him as the next king of Israel. I wonder if Jesse saw the potential in that young son 
God did. You know, we never know when the people under us, under us who they're going to be in the future and how God will use them in a great and mighty way. I've often wondered what Billy Sunday must have thought when a young boy named Billy Graham came waddling or come walking down an, the aisle of a tent revival to give his life to the Lord. I wonder if Billy Sunday looked at him and said, that young man right there is forever going to change the world that he lives in. And he did. A great man of God. And let me say this. When God looks at every child that belongs to him, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when he looks upon you, he sees potential that he can use for his honor and for his glory. You see, it's really not about us. Oftentimes we make it about us. We say, we're like Moses, aren't we? We're not elegant with words. Who do I say should send me? And what God keeps saying is this, hey guys, I don't need your abilities. I don't need that. What I just need is for you to be available to be used by me. And when we make ourselves available to be used by God, he'll use us up for his kingdom purposes. So my question this morning is this. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, have you made yourself available to God to be used in whatever way he wants to use you today? Oh, but uh, no, that's not what I said. Have you made yourself available to be used by God in whatever way he wants to use you today? If you'll make yourself available, I promise you, he will use you up. If you don't know, Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. You know what my hope is for you today? Is that you will come into a relationship with Him before this morning is done. That you will come to know the one true living God as revealed in His Son, Jesus Christ. Let me say this. If you are a thrill seeker, you a thrill seeker? Do you like that? You know, as a young guy growing up, I was a thrill seeker. I joined the Marine Corps at 18 years of age. I was a thrill seeker. I was. I saw a lot of the world for a boy growing up in, uh, you know, in Burkeville, Texas. I went halfway around the world. I did all kind of things from jumping out of the back of helicopters to being on ships floating around the world. I've done, I did all of that. But I can tell you there is nothing that thrills my soul like Jesus Christ does. There is nothing. There is nothing. And until you know Jesus Christ, you don't know what I'm talking about. But once you know Jesus Christ, there is no thrill in the world like walking in relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, I would ask that you open them up to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. If you've been with us on Sunday morning, you know this is where we have been, John chapter 12. So just find your place there. And this is the question I want you to consider this morning. Have you ever noticed that what the world says about life is very different than what Jesus says about life? The world says we are to promote self, that we need to look out for number one because no one will look out for us. Jesus Christ says we have to die to self. The world says you need to love your life. That you need to seek to build your self-esteem. 
And what you need more than anything else is to be comfortable and happy in life. Jesus says you must hate your life in this world. The world says what's most important is for you to be served. And greatness is determined by the number of people who serve you. Jesus says what you must do is to offer your life in service to Him. And in His kingdom, the economy of His kingdom says the greatest in His kingdom is not determined by the number of people who serve you, but it's determined by the number of people you serve. Polar opposites. As I sat reading this passage of Scripture this week in my study, I realized something. I realized this would be one of the most challenging sermons that I would ever preach in my life. And the reason I realized it would be one of the most challenging sermons I would ever preach is this. It flies in the face of American culture. And everything that American culture says is important. American culture announces to us loud and clear what's most important in life is for you and I to achieve the American dream. If we have enough money one day to retire with a nice nest egg and we have two fairly new cars in our garage at home and our home is paid off of, paid for and we can allow the children, our children, to choose the university they want to go, we have reached life to the fullest. We have abundant life by the tail. But God's Word says that is not true. I also realized when I prepared to preach this passage of Scripture, it would be a very challenging passage because I understood that it would not set well with people in the church. There would be some people in the church who would say, that's not right. What the pastor should do is preach heartfelt sermons. And what he ought to do is not confront people in the lives that they're living, but just simply offer words of encouragement, words of encouragement, to make people feel better about themselves when they leave church than when they came into the church building. But then I read the words of Jesus Christ. And can I say something to you this morning? If Jesus Christ were to stand in the pulpit of many churches in America and preach His sermon today, it would not be accepted in many Christian circles. Because Christian circles say, what God wants is for you to have your best life now. To be comfortable. To be happy with where you are. And what God wants you to do is to be healthy and wealthy, to be a prosperous person. But that doesn't sound like anything Jesus Christ says in this passage of Scripture. If you notice the, t- the title of the sermon this morning, 
that probably made you begin to question right there. The title of the sermon this morning is this, Hating Your Life. On more than one occasion in Scripture, Jesus Christ came and He said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. I have come that you may have abundant life. John writes this book and he tells us in his gospel account in chapter 20 of this gospel, in the last two verses of that chapter, he says, I've written this book that you may believe in Jesus Christ and you may have life. I would tell you this morning, Jesus Christ desires for you to have life and to have life to the fullest. The problem is not with the life that Jesus Christ wants to give us. The problem is with how we define that life today. Do you see what I'm saying? Because oftentimes we define it in terms of living the American dream. And can I say to you, the words living the American dream never appear in Scripture. Did you know that? I will tell you something, Jesus did not live in America, if you were wondering about that as well. But I will say this, He did come that we might have life and have it to the fullest. I want you to listen to what Jesus Christ says in this passage of Scripture. Find your place in chapter 12. We're going to begin reading in verse 20 in just a moment. If you were here last Sunday, we looked at Jesus Christ's triumphant entry into Jerusalem. I shared with you, no doubt, it was a triumphant entry for the people of Israel but it was anything but triumphant for Jesus Christ. It was tragic. Through Jesus Christ's entry into Jerusalem, He fulfills the prophecy concerning the Messiah of Israel. He is announcing to the nation of Israel that He indeed is the Anointed One, the Chosen One, the long-awaited Messiah. He has come. The sad thing is, in Luke's gospel, he records for us before Jesus Christ ever enters into Jerusalem, riding on the back of a donkey, he stops at the Mount of Olives and he weeps over the city of Jerusalem. Not only was Jesus Christ announcing to this group of people that he was their Messiah, he was also announcing to them that he was the Passover lamb. He would be the one that would go to a cruel cross and He would hang there and die to pay the penalty for our sins, for their sins as well. He was our substitutionary atonement. I want you to think about that and just allow that to sink in for just a moment. Think about the fact that Jesus Christ took in Himself our punishment that, I, that we deserved. Let me illustrate it like this. How many of you have children? Yeah, we, many of us have children. How many of your children would take the punishment of their sibling? Yeah, right, huh? I could tell you that doesn't happen in my household. And when I was a boy growing up, it didn't happen when I was a boy growing up either. Oftentimes what happened in my household, the other two always told on me. 
so that I would be disciplined, even though many times I was innocent. <laughs> My wife finds a lot of humor in that. But that illustrates for us such an important truth that is found throughout Scripture, that Jesus Christ died in our place. He took what we rightfully deserved. He took our punishment at the cross. He made the payment for sin. Most likely this event takes place the next day after Jesus Christ has entered into Jerusalem. I want you to listen to what it is that is spoken here. Now among those, verse 20, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Now I want you to see Jesus' response to this. Most likely these Greeks were men and women who had converted to Judaism. There was a provision in the law that allowed them to convert to Judaism. They had come also to the temple to worship God and to observe this great feast. But they had heard about who Jesus Christ is and they wanted to meet him face to face. So they knew some of his apostles and they went to one of the apostles and said, Hey, can you take us and introduce us to Jesus? We've heard about this man. Maybe they had heard about the commotion that had taken place yesterday. Or maybe they had seen Jesus Christ face to face as he rode in to Jerusalem on the donkey colt. Whatever the case may be, Jesus responds to the request in this way in verse 23. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, did you notice something in the words of Jesus Christ right here? There is a major shift that is taking place in the ministry of Jesus Christ. To this point, do you know what Jesus Christ has told everyone? The Son of Man's hour has not come. It has not yet arrived. It is not my time. Do you, were you here the morning we looked at the time when Jesus Christ turned the water into wine? What did he tell his mother? Woman, an affectionate term. Woman, an affectionate term. Hey, my hour has not yet come. But all of a sudden, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus Christ clearly announces to the crowd, His hour has now arrived. This is a major shift that has taken place to this point in his ministry. His entire ministry has focused on the Jewish people. But that is all about to change. When Jesus Christ goes to the cross, and he hangs there, and he dies, he doesn't just do it for the Jewish people. He does it for all people. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The word that I like most in that verse of Scripture is this, whoever. You know why? Whoever includes me. Whoever includes you. Paul said, for I am not ashamed 
of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Listen to me very quickly this morning. I don't know where you're at in your relationship with the Lord, but I will clearly say this. God loves you, and he has done everything that is necessary for you to have a relationship with him through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, at the cross. The only thing that is necessary is for you to come to Jesus Christ, trusting and believing that only he can change your life and save you from your sin. That is the clear gospel message this morning. Jesus Christ announces that his hour has not yet come. Now listen to what he says here in verse 24. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. I mean, when I read that verse of Scripture, I think about the question, is Jesus for real? I mean, does Jesus literally mean that we have to hate our life in this world in order to be a follower of His? I mean, that's what he says in this passage, isn't it? He says, you can't be a follower of mine if you do not hate your life in this world. He closes with these words, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. As I stated earlier, Jesus' great desire is for every person to experience life to the fullest. Sometimes we refer to that life as abundant life. It's not something that starts once we die and leave this world. At the moment in time that we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, God grants unto us through the power and the inworking of the Holy Spirit in our life. He moves us from life, I mean from death to life. He grants to us abundant life. Life to the fullest is what Scripture says. No doubt that is what Jesus Christ is talking about in this passage of Scripture. And He offers us three different keys to experiencing life to the fullest. Let me share them with you this morning. Number one, if we're going to experience life to the fullest as followers of Jesus Christ, I have to die to self. I have to die to self. I often tell people the single greatest challenge that any of us will face in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ is this, self. It is the single greatest giant you and I will ever slay in this world is self. It's challenging, isn't it? Just about the time we think that we have self under control, what happens in our life? 
it rears its ugly head, right? Isn't that true? Now, don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. You do. We all experience this battle with self on a daily occasion, don't we? And that is the very point that Jesus Christ is making in verse 24 of this passage of Scripture. Listen to what he says here. He says, truly, truly. Now, those are important words. Do you know what Jesus is saying when he uses those two words? This is what he's saying. Wake up! That's what he's saying. I caught you, didn't I? Yeah. Pay attention. It's as though he is announcing to the crowd what I'm getting ready to say is of great importance to you. Can I say the words that Jesus will speak next is of great importance to all of us? And the reason is our eternity hinges on it. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, if you're like me, when I hear those words, it's a little bit challenging to understand exactly what Jesus Christ is speaking about. Let me say this. Jesus Christ was the master teacher. And oftentimes what Jesus Christ would do is he would take illustrations from everyday life, illustrations that people were very familiar with, and through it he would teach important spiritual truth. That's exactly what he's doing in this passage of Scripture. There is no one in the first century world who was unfamiliar with a kernel of wheat. If they had not planted a wheat field, they had surely gone to the market and they had seen wheat. Wheat was a staple of their lives. And everyone knew what a grain of wheat looked like. When you sold a grain of wheat in the market, it appeared as though it was dead. Did it not? Yeah. But you and I know if you take a grain of wheat, dig a hole, place it in the ground, cover it up, and it has the right amount of sun and the right amount of moisture, there's no disease that attacks it, what will result? Life will come out of that dead seed. A plant will be produced, and what will take place, that plant will bear much fruit. Jesus Christ is talking about His substitutionary death at the cross, is what He's referring to. That through His death at the cross, even though He died, many people would come to life. He would bear much fruit. Do you know what the fruit is? We're the fruit. That's what the fruit is. We are the fruit of Jesus Christ's substitutionary atonement at the cross. Through His death, we have moved from death to life. We have been ushered into the kingdom of God. Do you see that? That's what Jesus Christ is referring to in this passage of Scripture. He's holding up this example for people to follow. You know what the example is? It's not for us to die a substitutionary death. We can't do that, can we? No. None of us have the capacity 
to die on behalf of someone else for their sins against God. Only Jesus Christ could do that. So what in the world is Jesus Christ illustrating in this verse? Very simply, this is what he's saying. In the same way that he died to self to die on the cross for you and I, we as followers of his are called to die to self. The single greatest example of dying to self found in Scripture is the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. Do you see that? This is what Paul echoed in Galatians, the second chapter and the 20th verse. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. When you think about the words of that verse, that's one of the most challenging verses in all of the Bible. Think about this for a moment. When we trusted Christ as the Lord who saves, every single one of us gave up the rights to our life. Your life and my life is no longer mine or yours. It belongs to Jesus Christ. It is not ours. In a practical sense, this is the way that looks. Lord, whatever you tell me to do, I will do. I belong to you. I do not belong to myself. Lord, I don't want... No. Lord, I'm willing if that's what you want me to do. Lord, I... No. I'm willing, Lord, if that's what you want me to do. Who I marry is about the one that the Lord chooses for me. It's not about what I want. Where I work is not about me. It's about Him and what He tells me to do. Do you see what I'm saying? But we don't oftentimes take that into consideration when we think about a life lived unto the Lord. Your life and my life is not our own. It's not about what I want to do. I have been bought and paid for with the price, and I belong to another. I know that is not a popular message in America today, but that is the reality of what Jesus Christ is announcing here in this text to us. If you're going to follow Christ, you have to die to self. If you're going to experience life to the fullest, you have to lay aside all of your rights in life. It can only be yes, Lord. It can never be no, Lord. At the moment in time, we say no, Lord. He's no longer Lord. I am Lord, and I'm sitting on my own throne you see what I'm saying? Now, I know that's radical. And I know when we turn on the television, very rarely do we hear anything like that. But can I say it is the truth of Scripture? It is reality. Listen to the words of Jesus Christ. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. You must die to self to follow Jesus Christ. We good? All right, amen. Number two, all right? It doesn't get any easier. Let me just say that. 
All right? I just want you to know that. Jesus Christ, the next passage or next verse of Scripture He's going to speak is just as radical as that one we just looked at. If we're going to experience life to the fullest as a follower of Jesus Christ, I must despise the world. I must despise the world. Listen to the words of Jesus Christ. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? Do you mean that Jesus really expects us to hate our lives? I don't know. That's what he said. I wish I could tell you it said something different in the Greek than what it says, but it doesn't. It says exactly what Jesus Christ said here when we read it in English. Now, I think that John, in another book of his, helps us to better understand exactly what he's talking about here. So if you have your Bibles, quickly just turn them over to 1 John. Turn over to 1 John. John is writing to a group of Christians. It's toward the back of the New Testament after the book of Hebrews. 1 John, James, and then Peter. And then 1 John follows on behind 2 Peter. I want you to listen to what he says here. If you have your place there, just look up with me. 1 John chapter 2 is where we're looking at. Listen to what he says here in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away, passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The word world here doesn't refer to the physical world, the created world. It doesn't refer to the people of the world either. As a matter of fact, creation points to the majesty and the glory of God. God revealed Himself to us through His creation. And we're told in Scripture we are to love everyone. Is that not true? Yeah, we're told to love our enemies. Isn't that right? So what is John speaking about? Well, the word world here refers to a mindset, a philosophy is what it refers to. I would say this, that mindset is most clearly manifested in America in this way. What's most important in life is achieving the American dream, being comfortable and happy having a nice nest egg to retire on one day, sending my children to the best university, the one that they would like to go to, and I have to pursue it at all cost. Now let me say this. There is nothing inherently wrong with experiencing any of those things. But listen to me what I'm going to say very carefully. It is 
wrong to pursue them at all cost. See, the real question becomes this. Where do the affections of your heart lay? The things of the world are Jesus Christ. Jesus gives his listeners a sharp warning about the pursuit of this world through a story that is found in Luke chapter 12. It's referred to as a parable. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And through each one, Jesus Christ teaches an important spiritual truth. I want you to listen to what he says in Luke chapter 12. And Jesus told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. As your pastor who loves you, I want to caution you this morning. The things of this world are short-lived in comparison to eternity. You need to be careful. Don't allow the things of the world become the pursuit of your life. You must hate your life in this world is what Jesus said. Number three, the last one. If I'm going to experience life to the fullest as follower of Jesus Christ, I must offer my life in service to the Lord. Listen to what Jesus Christ said. Verse 26, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Two different occasions in this verse of Scripture, Jesus Christ makes the statement, if anyone serves me, to refer to his followers. Jesus Christ said there is no such thing as a non-serving believer. Let me just say, a non-serving believer doesn't exist in the New Testament. You can look every single page 
you will find no such animal. He is not there. When we serve others, we are serving the Lord. In a few Sundays, we're going to look at the beginning of chapter 13. That chapter opens with Jesus Christ and his apostles in the upper room. Jesus Christ takes off his outer garment. He wraps it around his waist, takes up a basin of water, and begins to wash his disciples' feet. I'm not going to go into all of the meaning of that passage of Scripture, but I will say this. I do not believe that Jesus Christ was instituting foot washing in the church. That was a part of their culture. But what he is instituting is this, an example for us as followers of his to follow. As he served his apostles, we too are called to serve others, which ultimately when we serve others, we are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what he's saying in this passage of Scripture. Every single believer are to long to hear these words from their Lord and Savior one day when we leave this earth. We should all long to hear the words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. I have given you much, and you have used it to bring honor and glory to my name. You have served me well. That ought to be the desire of all of our hearts as followers of Jesus Christ when we stand before Him one day. You know, as I was reading this passage of Scripture in my office this morning, I believe there is a man whose life best exemplified what it truly means to live life to the fullest. Shortly before he died, he made this statement, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You may recognize those as the words of Jim Elliot. At the age of 25, he and his wife moved to the nation of Ecuador to reach an unreached people group with the gospel of Jesus Christ. On January the 8th, 1956, he and four other missionaries loaded onto a plane and flew into the jungles of Ecuador to bring the gospel to a group of people that had never heard the gospel before. When they landed on that small beach in a remote river, they were attacked, and all five of them were killed. lost their lives for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now many people would say in our world, what a waste of life. I mean, after all, he was in the prime of his life. He was 28 years of age. He had only been married for three years. He had a 10-month-old baby at home. He could have surely stayed back in America and lived a comfortable life. What a waste. But I would tell you this morning, 
His life was no waste. I would tell you today that he understood what it was to experience life to the fullest. He died to self. He hated his life in this world. And he served the Lord is what he did. Do you see that in this passage of Scripture? Let me ask you a question this morning, believer. Are you experiencing life to the fullest? Have you died to self? Have you come to a place in your life where you hate your life in this world? All that this world stands for. And have you offered your life in service to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Are you experiencing life to the fullest. Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word. Father, your word is very challenging for us. What a challenging message, Lord Jesus, that you have proclaimed in these verses of Scripture. And Father, as we prepare to start a whole new year, I pray that each one of us would take a step back in our relationship with you and ask ourselves the challenging question today. Am I experiencing life to the fullest? Have I died to self? Am I hating my life in this world? Have I offered my life in service to you? Father, as we examine our lives, put your finger on the place of our life that needs to change that we might experience the life that you want to give us. Father, perhaps there's someone here today who doesn't know you. They've never trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I pray today would be that day where they hand over control of their life unto you, trusting that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he did it for them. Father, we give you this time of invitation and pray that you'd work in your perfect way. In Jesus' name, amen.